I want you to turn with me over to Ephesians. We're in chapter 5. Separated, but not isolated. Separated, but not isolated. In Revelation chapter 3, our Lord Jesus Christ describes the church in the last days. And the overwhelming characteristic of the church, now when I say the church, I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about born-again believers. That is the only church Jesus recognizes. Those who have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Those are the people that make up the body of Christ, the church. But it is very interesting as Jesus addresses them, and he addresses seven churches there in Revelation 2 and 3, that the last church mentioned, he describes the church of the last days, and and the description is this. He uses the term lukewarm. Lukewarm. The reason for that is that they are saved. They have somewhat of an interest in spiritual things, but they don't want to be fully committed to the Lord. They're glad they're saved, but they also just simply want to live their life as they see fit. Oh, they don't want to be awful people. They may even want to be church-going people at times, depending on what they want to do that weekend. But they're lukewarm, the Bible says. They want to be godly to an extent, but definitely worldly as well. They do not want other, and this is a big one with them, because the church at Laodicea, the word Laodicea means the people's rights. And they were very concerned about the issue of, yes, they were glad they were saved, but they didn't want anyone telling them what to do or how to live their lives. And I'm sure back then there was, you know, they didn't talk about pulling out a certain card or whatever. Who knows? Maybe they did. But back then, the Laodicean church, probably everybody in the church was carrying a card in their back pocket. And every time somebody came along, a godly believer wanted to challenge them with the compromises they were making in their life with sin, with wickedness, with that which is evil, that which is worldly. They would probably pull out the L card, which stands for legalism. And they say, oh, you're a legalist. You're a legalist. You're trying to tell me how I should live my life. Friend, uh, let me tell you something. God's word is full of truth on how we're to live our lives. God not only tells us what to do positively, but he also tells us what not to do negatively. And of course, we've been talking about that the last few weeks here in church. One old commentator said this, and I loved it. He said, the strength of the Christian is in his separation from the world and his devotion to Christ. That is extremely deep, extremely powerful, and extremely true. The strength of the Christian is in his separation from the world and his devotion to Christ. Folks, the reason the church is so anemic today, the reason more great things aren't being done for Christ today is because the church is compromising with the world. The church is glad they're saved by grace, but they also simply want to live any way they want. But this idea of being separated from the world and being devoted to Christ, it's not legalism. This is not legalism, but a battle to not become a Laodicean Christian or a Laodicean church that is lukewarm. Lukewarm. As a matter of fact, Jesus, we don't have time to cover the passage in Revelation today, but Jesus said they made him sick to his stomach and he wanted to vomit them out. 
Now that's strong language, but that is exactly what the text says in Revelation chapter 3. Now he gives them the way back into fellowship with him, but they basically were functioning as believers, but they were not functioning the way he wanted them to function. See, here's the truth. Any Christian who is lukewarm or carnal is undermining the work of God. They're actually doing damage to the work of God. They're holding up the work of God. They're misrepresenting the work of God. In Ephesians 5, 1, it says this, and this is just a quick review of last week a little bit. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Followers. We know that word followers means imitator of God. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor or odor. But fornication, fornication, that is a sex outside of the boundaries of marriage, but fornication and all uncleanness, moral uncleanness or covetousness, watch this now, let it not be named once. Let it not be once named among you as becometh saints or as is fitting for saints. In other words, he's saying, don't be guilty of this. Don't be guilty of these sins that are listed here. As a believer, these things should never one time be said of us. Now, I know people will hear that kind of thing and say, ooh, they're, you know, what are they, Puritans or something? You know, they're, they're legalistic. They're living in the dark ages and all this kind of stuff. Friend, listen, this is the word of God. This is the eternal word of God by God himself, God Almighty, the omnipotent God, the sovereign God. He is the boss of the universe, sovereign. Kind of brings with it the the concept, he's the boss of the universe, is, is who he is. And this is what he says to his children. We ought to be imitating him, not imitating the world. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, Dirty jokes, dirty talk, insinuations, which are not convenient, not proper, but rather giving of thanks. Now jump down to verse 8. For you were sometimes, at one time in your life, he's talking to the, remember he's talking to believers, he says, for at one time in your life you were darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord, walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth." proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. So not all living is acceptable to God. Only what he tells us in his word is acceptable to him. See, our father is calling us, folks, to himself. He's calling us to a new life as believers. A separated life is a life not, again, I'm not talking about self-righteous. We're talking about biblical separation according to what the Bible says. There is a power in a separated life that a Christian who's not separated doesn't have the power. Why? Because they're lukewarm. They're not hot. They're not zealous. They're not zealous. And so first today we see this. We see in the scriptures here a call to inward purity, a call to live according to who we are in Christ. Now, this is for the believer, not for the lost man. God isn't saying to people, do this, live this way, and you'll make it to heaven one day, because we're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He died for our sins. He was buried. He rose from the grave to prove it was paid for. 
And when you simply put your faith in him that he did that for you, you receive everlasting life and you become a child of God. But God calls his children to have lives of inner purity. This is based on our position in Christ as those who are children of God already. This is for God's kids. We have been made pure and holy. According to verse 1, we are children of God. We are children of God. Hold your place here and look with me over to Colossians chapter 3. Of course, Colossians, very similar to Ephesians. And in Colossians chapter 3, see, God is saying, I want you to live according to your position in Christ. I give you salvation as a gift of my grace. I want you to live in light of that gift that I've given you. I want you to look and see what I've done for you, and then I want you to live in proper response to what I've done for you. Colossians 3 and verse 1, it says, if ye then be risen with Christ, if you're saved, it's another way of saying if you're saved, because you have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless you live, yet not you, but Christ lives in you, and the life which you now live in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you, gave himself for you. Okay, that's kind of changing a few of the words around there in Galatians 2. But nevertheless, that is the truth of it. If you then be risen with Christ, when you got saved, you were crucified with Christ. You died, but he gave you everlasting life. So now we have a new life. If you're risen with Christ, look what he says. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection Set your affection, the things you desire, your mind. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. We are called to a new life, and we are called to a life of inward purity. Look with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. See, folks, here's, here's the issue. Why is it that some Christians accomplish great things for God? Other Christians really don't seem like they accomplish much of anything. I'll tell you why. Because they never win the battle within. They never get on top of things. They never are committed the way they should be to the Lord. And so there's that struggle. Their flesh continues to hold them back, hold them back, hold them back as time goes on. As a matter of fact, there are a lot of Christians today who are living miserable lives. Do you know why? Because they're being convicted by the Spirit through the Word of God, and they've just got their heels dug in. I'm not changing. This is the way it is. This is the way I am. I'm not changing. Friend, listen. Let me say this. This is not an issue between you and me. This is an issue between you and God. You will stand one day, just as all believers will, at the judgment seat of Christ, and we are going to give an account for the life we live since we got saved. A verbal answer to God, that's what the word account means there in in Romans, a verbal answer to God for how we lived our lives since we got saved. Boy, wait a minute. I thought the judgment seat of Christ was just a big party, a reward party. No, friend, there is no punishment, but there is accountability. Jesus took the punishment for the sin, but there is accountability And if you read honestly, unbiasedly, not through, you don't read scripture through other books. If you just read the scripture, you will not find the judgment seat of Christ being talked about like some sort of a galactic party. You see it as a very sobering time. I'm just being honest with you. I wish it was a big party. 
But it's not. And that's not the language of Scripture when it talks about the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, he's talking to believers, abstain from fleshly lusts, the desires of your flesh, abstain from them. And notice why, which war against your soul. The inward war that takes place in the life of a believer who will not surrender their life to Christ and let God have his way. They continue to have a secret life of evil and wrong. God says, you've got a war going on inside of you. You need to abstain from those fleshly lusts. And you know what? When we do and when we put those things behind us, we start to experience a freedom that we have never experienced before. And it's an awesome thing. But yeah, you can go back into bondage if you choose, but it's not a wise choice. Notice the inward battle there in verse 11. In other words, stay away from that which is sinful, according to the word of God. Yeah, but everybody this or that. Oh, but, you know, I have such a hard time. I have such a hard time. I have such a struggle with this. Why? Well, all the stuff that's on TV or it's on my DVD player and all that, (laughs) or that I'm streaming. Hey, does your device have a power button on it? Turn it off. Turn it off. I said, oh, this, I shouldn't be watching this or listening to this. Turn it off. Well, I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. Fine. Have the war inside and be less effective than you could be otherwise. That's what he's saying here. God is only wanting our lives to be blessed and to be the best that they can be. The Bible defines these destructive lusts and sins. It is not complicated. Back to Ephesians 5. It is simply a matter of being honest with God. Let me say that again, folks. It is a matter of being honest with God. It isn't, what can I do and not get caught? Teenagers, are you listening? What can I do and not get caught? You're playing a brutal game. What a rotten way to live. How about this? What can I do to show my heavenly father how much I love him? It's a whole different view on life. The first one brings bondage. The second one brings freedom. And effectiveness, by the way. But you have to be honest with God. Because if we're not honest with God, we'll never face up to these things. We will rationalize and compromise until we go to be with the Lord. Some of these lusts and sins are already defined in the previous verses here in Ephesians 5. This then needs to be applied and exercised as we live each day. This truth applied leads to, in other words, the truth, what truth? The call to inward purity. God is calling us to a life of inward purity. And what does that lead to? It leads to, number two, a call to separated living. A call to separated living. If we heed the call to inward purity, it will manifest itself in separated living. We will recognize what harms us, and we will stay away from that which is going to harm us spiritually. Some who reject this just end up spinning their wheels spiritually. They never seem to accomplish what God wants to do through that life. You know, I don't think any of us fully accomplish what God wants to do through our lives. Ephesians 5.11, and here he gives some explanation of what he's talking about. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, 
but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Let me mention a couple words here, highlight a couple words. Fellowship, okay? Fellowship means a joint participation with someone in something. One pastor who's gone on to be with the Lord, he used to say this, fellowship, that's two fellows in the same ship. Okay, that's good theology and that makes sense. We can, we can understand that, right? Are you in Jesus' ship? Are you sailing with him? Or have you chosen to go in another ship with carnal people? Fellowship, joint participation. In other words, darkness represents that which is contrary to light. We are to walk in the light as he is in the light. 1 John 1, 7. Look at it there again in verse 11. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Don't participate in that which is evil, but rather reprove them. The word reprove means to convict by manifesting the light. So here's what happens, and this is interesting. As we as believers live our lives And as we're living the way God wants us to, you know what happens, folks? Just by the fact that we're living a life that is pleasing to God, there are some people who get really convicted by that. Saved and lost. They get really convicted by that. And sometimes they'll just start launching out at you and heaving accusations or saying you're self-righteous or you're pious or I don't know what happened to you, you got religion, you become a weirdo, and all this kind of stuff. Maybe we ought to have bumper stickers. Weirdos for Christ. I don't know. No, that's probably not the best thing. Isn't it interesting, though, that the Bible calls us peculiar people? That doesn't mean weirdo. That means unique. It means you stand out. God is calling us as believers to stand out in the dark world in which we live. And how is that done? By walking in the light with Jesus, by walking in fellowship with him and obeying his word. God will change us inside and then it works its way out on the outside into a life. But it's a separated life. Separated in what sense? Separated from evil. Don't fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness but reprove them, for it is a shame even to speak of those things. Over the years, I've had people who have lashed out at us, lashed out at me, lashed out at people even in our church. And they'll say, well, that church, they're legalistic, okay? Maybe somebody even watching may say, oh, he's talking about legalism. I'm your friend, but let me tell you this. You don't have a clue what you're talking about. Legalism is a self-righteous attitude. That is the core of legalism. And only God knows the heart of a person. Yes, there are people who can be legalistic. But to say we ought not do this and we ought to do that, that's not legalism. That's Bible. That's Bible. It's not legalism. The problem is we are living in the Laodicean age and people's minds are twisted and blind on how wicked they really are and how wicked the body of Christ is in some areas. Jesus says, you make me sick. You make me sick. As we live the way we should, we will convict the wicked. Many years ago when we were first here, one of the men in our church, he says, I have somebody I'd like you to talk to about the Lord. And I said, great. He said, can we go out and have coffee one day? And, but I'm warning you. I said, oh? 
said, yeah, he says, this guy's got a really foul mouth. Okay, I can handle that. I've worked in the outside. Okay, I wasn't, it's not like I haven't heard cursing in my lifetime. I know what it's like. And he says, this, this guy's got a foul mouth. And so we sat there, and of course I'm thinking, I'm, you know, I'm ready for anything, okay? And let me just say this, plenty came. And I could tell, number one, the man was very uncomfortable with me. And I could tell that he was going to say everything he could get out of his system toward me to see if it would break me down. He wanted to intimidate me. He wanted, he wanted to make my face red. He wanted to embarrass me. He wanted, I don't know what he wanted to do. And all I did was kept going back to the gospel, kept going back to the gospel, kept going back to the gospel. You know, it's kind of interesting as the conversation continued, how less of the language started coming out of his mouth. And the arrogance and the pride that was there at the beginning how in time he started being a little bit more humble about things. We need to be children of light. Children of light. It's not us looking down our noses at people. It's saying, you know what? I'm on the winning side. I want you to be there too. Because your ship's going down, buddy. And unless you trust Christ as your Savior, you're going to drown spiritually. And you'll be lost forever. Verse 12. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. You know, it's kind of interesting. I looked up this word because how do you preach against that which is evil and never mention it? Okay? You might say, I never thought about that. Well, preachers have to think about this stuff all the time. But I looked up the word speak, and it means this, to lay forth, to discourse. Ah, now I get it. Some things should not even be talked about in detail because of their depth of perversion. In other words, folks, for me to say that alternative lifestyles are an abomination to God, I can say that, and that's the truth, and you ought not be part of that, and you shouldn't be part of adultery or fornication or any of these things. Witchcraft, okay? You shouldn't be listening to perverse, wicked music that is immoral. But you know what God is telling us? Yeah, preach on it that it's wrong, but you don't have to go into minute detail and paint pictures in people's minds. I can remember when I was in junior high, next to our junior high school, it was public school, next to our junior high school was a temple, Jewish temple. I don't know why they had it there, but they were going to educate us on drug abuse. And so we had this class where we had to go over there. It was two days, I remember, going over there to where they could educate us on drug abuse and tell us all the evils of drugs. Well, I'll tell you what, whoever was teaching it didn't do a very good job because honestly, it made me more curious. I knew it was wrong, but the way they talked about it in detail made me think, I wonder what that would be like to be that way. Now, I've never taken drugs. For the record, I've never taken drugs. But you know what? We got to be careful when we talk about that which is wicked. Don't go into a lot of detail about it. Just let it be known and move on. I think that's what he's talking about here. Talking about them will get people thinking about them and maybe cause them to stumble. And I sometimes look back and I thought, I wonder how many of those kids who were in that class to me went on and experimented with drugs because they 
the way they talked about it, they made it sound so interesting. Not a good way to go, by the way. I get uneasy when some of these people, they'll do these uh, different videos and programs and stuff, and they'll They'll go into, and I, and I understand their motive is right, their motive is right, but they'll go into minute detail and talking about all the verbiage, and they'll put it up in your face as Christians, and you're seeing all this wicked, corrupt verbiage and everything in your face, and it's like, do we really need this much detail? Let's minimize it, okay? I'm not saying sometimes it, it seems like it's, it's necessary to a point, but let's minimize these things and not make it seem like we're almost glorifying it or promoting it. And yet that's what some Christians do. Not good. Now, important point here. And here's where we're kind of shifting today. I want you to hear this very clearly. Living a separated life is not living an isolated life. You can be so separated, it's like you live in a monastery. And by the way, they have their own problems. But folks, living a separated life is not living an isolated life. Living a pure life frees you up to be the best you can be in living for Christ, which is to fulfill the Great Commission. Look with me to Romans chapter 12. See, if I am so separated to where I'm never talking to anybody about Christ, I'm never having an impact on the people around me in the world and so forth. If that's the life I'm living, I'm out of the will of God. God does not want me participating in that which is wicked, but he wants me to reach the wicked. Again, we talked about it last week, imitating Christ. What would Jesus do? Look at the way he lived. He tried to reach those in wickedness, didn't he? It was the Pharisees that stumbled at his grace and his mercy towards other people. But Jesus tried to reach them. Oh, that person, you know, that person's disgusting, or they're this, or there's that. Let me ask you a question. Does Jesus love them? Does God love them? Yes, he does. And guess what? If he loves them, we need to love them too. And we need to care enough about them to try to reach them. That doesn't mean participate in their sin. By the way, do you know there are Christians who think that? They think that. I can remember once witnessing to a guy, and he was already saved. I mean, solid. He knew the gospel inside and out. He was a paramedic. And I was talking to him and he says, yeah, you know, I've really got a burden for the loss. I'm trying to reach lost people. As a matter of fact, tonight I'm going down to such and such a bar to try to to reach some people in there for Christ. Listen, you don't have to be a genius to understand. You need to figure out a different way to do things. Don't go to the bar. Uh, One of my uh, teachers in Bible college, the late Dr. Mark G. Cameron, he he, he, he said this, he said, Uh, And by the way, he wouldn't just go to the bar, he would participate with them, thinking, well, this will open the person up to where they'll listen to me. Dr. Cameron used to say, you'll never lead a bartender to the Lord by drinking his whiskey. And that's true. Look, you try to reach him? Yes. Do you participate in the sin? No. He also talked about smoking pot with people. He says, well, I want to reach the drug addict, so I smoke pot with them. That way I can kind of relate to them, and they can relate to me and all of this. I'm thinking to myself, this guy must be from Jupiter. Where do you see that mentality in Scripture? Do that which is wrong to reach people. No, we do that which is right to reach people. You know, well, you think you're better than me. No, listen, I can't believe all these things I'm getting from people that have impacted my life. Dr. Yankee Arnold used to say, 
people say, well, you think you're better than me. He says, no, but my way is better than your way. I've chosen a better way than what you've chosen. Isn't that the truth? That's the truth. That's the truth. So living a separated life is not living an isolated life. Romans 12, 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You notice that? The will of God, God's will for your life, God's will for my life. What is it? It is good. It is acceptable. And what's that last one? It's perfect. You can't get any better than that. Philippians 2.15 says that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. How do we as Christians shine as lights in the world? Okay? The answer is found in Philippians 2.16, the very next verse. It says, holding forth the word of life. I live a godly life. I live a blameless and harmless life as a child of God without rebuke. I live in a world that is wicked and corrupt. But as I live for Christ and I hold forth the word of life, I shine as a light in the world. This is the plan of God for every child of God. Back to Ephesians chapter 5. It says this in verse 13. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light, okay? When we compare people's ideas and ways and the ways of the world, and we take that and we compare it with the Word of God, which is the light, right? What do we see? We see that those things are wrong. We see that that life is wrong. That lifestyle is wrong. That way is wrong. How do we know that? Because of the light of the world, the light of the Word. The light or the Word of God sheds light, on that which is evil, and we see that it's wrong. Our job is to stand and shine the light. See, this is being separated but not isolated. The world and its mindset is not going to get any better. A lot of people in your conservative news, uh, or some of them, not a lot, some of them are saying things are starting to turn around in America. Things are starting to turn around. Well, I hope they're starting to turn around, but I'll tell you what, folks, I don't have a lot of confidence in man. I have confidence in God. Should we stand for what's right? Absolutely. Should we pray? Absolutely. Should we, uh, you know, participate? Yes. Yes. Should we vote? Yes. But is it going to turn around? I can tell you this, the world's not going to turn around, generally speaking. I hope we can stay free into the rapture, don't you? My wife and I pray for this regularly, that God would keep our nation free until the rapture. Are there any guarantees of that? There's no guarantees. Could Christians go through intense persecution in America before the rapture? Yes. Yes, that could take place. Am I worried about it? No. Why? Because God is in control. By the way, Christians are being persecuted more today around the world than any time. We need to stand. Look what he says, verse 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake, awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Awake thou that sleepest. In the Greek that means, wake up! Time is short, which leads us to our last point, and it is this. There's a call to live wisely. The call to live 
impurity, the call to live a separated life, and then ultimately the call to live wisely, a call to making our lives count daily. Friends, listen, time is running out. Our lives are running out. You don't know when your last day on this planet is going to be as a Christian. We need to invest our lives now. The investment of life now has the bearing on how your eternity will be as far as the joys go. Call to live wisely. Ephesians 5 verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Circumspectly means accurately, carefully. See that you walk in a careful way as a Christian. Make your life count. This points to a disciplined life. We are to use our time wisely. Time is life, and when it is gone, it is gone. It's like a candle. You can only burn that candle down one time, and it just keeps burning until it's gone. That's life. He says, redeeming the time means to buy back, to rescue, to make the most of the opportunities we have, folks. This is why it's so important for us to choose God's priorities over our own priorities. God's priorities. Let me give you an example, something coming up. We had to move our ladies' tea one week up because of a scheduling conflict the next week, which we weren't aware of when we set the date. Well, the ladies' tea is going to be on the fishing opener. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no, the fishing opener. Let me tell you something. If you don't go out the first weekend, there's still going to be fish. Get your priorities right. We're doing this for souls. We want to make an impact for eternity. Do you understand what I'm saying? These are examples of redeeming the time. Using our time wisely, okay? Listen, if we're having a a major event here at church, as a matter of fact, I would do nothing on Sunday if you can. Don't do anything except plan on being here and participating in church. Why? Because this matters. We have a big crowd in here today, folks. Let me tell you something. There's no one that I know of who came to church today into a big crowd and says, oh, you know, this is the pits. I wish we only had eight people. (laughs) No, everybody's encouraged as we see people coming back to church and new people coming and learning and growing and getting saved. That's what it's about. Redeeming the time. Wherefore, be not unwise. And if you don't redeem the time, you are unwise. But understanding what the will of the Lord is. What is he saying? I think Paul's saying, may we have the discernment and wisdom to know what is what. And of course, that comes through the scriptures. It is separation from the world to Christ. Exercise yourself unto godliness. Get involved in meeting the needs of others. Witness to the law. Serve through the local church. Live out the new life. God has saved you too. I'm just being honest with you. I love serving Christ. I love it. There's not one thing in this world that you could offer me to where I'd say, okay, I'll quit serving Christ if you give me that. Man, that right there. So it, none of it matters. None of it. So what do we need to do? We need to examine our lives. And by the way, no one can do that for you. It's between you and God. We need to make any necessary adjustments. And that's what we talked about today is making adjustments. 
And then we need to stay on track through the pages of Scripture. This is how you stay on track. This is the track. Every day. One last passage, John chapter 3. Turn there with me, would you? Perhaps you're here today and you might say, you know what, I've never heard any of this before, but I see I have a need. Maybe you've never put your faith in Christ the Savior. Maybe you think, you know what, my life is a mess. I'm missing something. Well, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, yes, you are. You're missing salvation. You're missing heaven. But you can have it. You can have it. Let me explain it to you. It's my great privilege to explain this to you. If this represents you and me, we're going to let my wallet represent all the things we do wrong. We are sinners. That's why the world is the mess that it is today. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin. To get to heaven, your sin has to be gone. It has to be forgiven. You cannot get to heaven with even one sin. It separates us from the Lord. Yet God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. See, he wants us to live with him forever in heaven. But God says this, our sin has to be paid for. We have broken his laws, and there's a fine, you might say. There's a wage that goes with that, and the wages of sin, the penalty of sin is death. That means we would have to die, and we would have to spend forever separated from God in a literal, a literal hell. God doesn't want that for us. Now, no amount of good works will take away the sin. The Bible nowhere says that if you do good deeds, your sin will be taken away. There has to be a death payment for your sin. Matter of fact, the Bible says we're not saved by works. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. No good works will take away your sin, only a death payment. You must decide, what am I going to do about this? Well, this is how much God loves us. He sacrificed his own son. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son, to the world, this hand representing him the sinless Son of God, the Lamb without blemish and without spot. And when Jesus went to the cross, all of our sin, he took it upon himself. He took it, our sin, upon himself, and he made the payment for us. God's wrath was poured out on him for our sin, and he rose from the grave. And the Bible says this, if you will put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you'll believe in him that he did that for you, he'll give you everlasting life. Look at it, John 3, 16. It says, For God so loved the world, that's you, that's me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you will believe that Jesus Christ has paid for your sins, the moment you do, that payment's good on your behalf. You're forgiven of all your sin. You can't go to hell. There's nothing to send you there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him, two promises, you won't perish go to hell, but you have everlasting life. That's living with God forever in heaven. You can have it the moment you believe. Verse 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Look at this, watch. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. Why? It's already condemned. But that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. If you haven't believed or trusted Christ, you are condemned already because you still have the weight of your sin on you. And if you die, 
you immediately go to hell. God doesn't want that for you. He'll give you eternal life as a gift if you'll trust in him. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.